Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, welcome back. I hope your Thanksgivings were, ooh, you know, restful, peaceful, calm, maybe clarifying. We are moving into probably one of the most clarifying seasons of, of the year in terms of, you know, if you've been on the fence and you are going into another holiday with someone and in a uh, relationship or marriage that you feel is sucking your soul dry <laughs> or not lifting it up or whatever it may be, this is often a really important marker. January is considered divorce month mainly because people have gotten through one more holiday season and they can't fucking do it again. They just kind of know it, right? And so if you are like on the precipice, right? If you're looking over the edge and going, oh my God, I'm going into this and I don't know that I can do this again. You're not alone. There is so much help out there for you. Um, not the least of which on this podcast, you know, in my programs for sure. Um, should I stay or should I go? This is the time, man. This is the time. If you don't know what you want for Christmas and you, and this is like, this is the, the question that is weighing on you. Please, please invest in yourself. Invest in yourself. And my program, should I stay or should I go? Women have said it's, it's, you know, worth more than all the therapy that they've ever done. Um, I had someone who just started it, who finished the first module and said it was like 50 hours of therapy right there. And it's a lot cheaper than 50 hours of therapy. <laughs> so there you go. You know, as always, you can use the discount code DSGPOD as you check out and you'll get $50 off. So highly worth it, y'all. Highly worth it. This is tis the season. Truly tis the season. Couple more things I want to talk to you about before we get into today's episode, which is awesome. So the first thing is Thank you all for your submissions of your reviews and for entering the contest with your reviews. That was just awesome. And I'm going to, uh, all the winners have been contacted, but I just wanted to announce their first names. I'm keeping everyone's anonymity here just so that we know, like, this is a real thing. We really did this. So the winners of the divorce, the ultimate divorce survival guide, there were two of those that were given to Mary and Lynn. Congratulations. Um, we had a scholarship for the divorce survival program, which was awarded to Alyssa. And the scholarship for Should I Stay or Should I Go was given to Sonia. 
And then Susan won a private coaching session. So congratulations to all the winners. Thank you for everyone who submitted. I truly adore you all. I've read all of your reviews and I, and I love you. I love you. Thank you so much. The other thing I wanted to mention is that, as you know, Amanda Steinberg and I were creating, you know, we sent out that the financial uh, survey and we had over 400 responses. We are now doing a deep analysis. We're looking for specific patterns to uncover how we can best help you. And the one thing that's clear in all of this is that financial abuse is rampant and you need help and we hear you. And we've also been you to, uh, to some extent. So, um, what's also clear is, and it's sort of taking us a bit to process is how much divorce takes you from stability to crisis financially. Uh, which is what we're working to figure out how we can support you around. So, you know, we are not in the business of saviorism. That's what the patriarchy does. <laughs> so give us a little time, extend a little bit of patience as we work through all of it. And hopefully in January, we will have something more specific to offer based on this information. But it's like, but, but we are doing a deep, deep, deep dive, um, into this data. As I said, Amanda is, you know, she is a uh, sort of a, a, a data head <laughs> and um, and she also is working with a friend of hers who is also a data analyst, like an actual data analyst. And so we're really looking at this information, guys. So give us some patience while we work that out and we'll get back to you in January with what it is that we have created to help you guys. And now... We're going to move on to today's episode. So today I have with me Rhonda Nordyke. She is the founder and CEO of the Women's Financial Wellness Center. Speaking of money, she's the host of the podcast Divorce Conversations for Women, which I was just on recently. She is a public speaker and a CDFA credentialed financial expert who understands that divorce can be a complicated and a painful journey. And this is what drove Rhonda to leave the financial industry in 2014 and pursue her passion of helping women achieve financial justice and financial wellness in their divorce. She refers to her work with women as a different kind of divorce experience, one that leads to empowering moments and living a happy and fulfilled life post-divorce. Fun fact, Rhonda has been a public speaker since the age of 11. So without further ado, here is my conversation with the amazing Rhonda Nordyke. Rhonda, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about women's financial wellness. Oh yes. my God. Yes. Thank you for having me. Why is this such an issue? Like why? I mean, listen, I am thrilled that you do what you do, but why is it that you need to do what you do? <laughs> Right? Isn't that the question of the day? <laughs> Why do we need education in financial wellness? There's, I mean, there's so much information out there. I know. I think the thing that's missing is just a real, it's a customized strategy to helping people navigate through all the things, right? Because, I mean, everybody enters the divorce process at different 
stages. Some women have been handling the finances, but yet they don't necessarily know anything about divorce-related finances. Mm -hmm. Some women haven't handled anything related to the finances. And here's the thing that always was so fascinating to me, Kate, and that is that, you know, as I've worked with women from all ranges, right, all backgrounds, all income levels, all net worths, the one thing that always is intrigues me is the fact that a lot of times people will say, well, for the women that have seven figures, like they don't have to worry about it. And I think I've mentioned this before, but the reality of it is the bottom line is it doesn't matter how many zeros are in the bank account if we don't know what it means for them. Right. So right. that's the reason is because somehow, right, it's divide and conquer. Nobody's sitting around and singing kumbaya about the finances. And so then you usually have one person who's taking the lead and it's not always the women. So I think at the end of the day, right, it's a lack of general knowledge and experience around the finances that kind of rears its ugly head as people are looking at divorce. And, you know, we all bring our own background and history with money right. to the table that, you know, when you're going through something really challenging, it's like we're putting it under the microscope and now we see loudly, <laughs> <laughs> you know, in a magnified way, what's really, you know, where the insecurities lie, where the lack of education. And it's not because women are not smart, God darn it. I mean, women are smart. Yeah, It's right. just a matter of them not necessarily having the experience around the finances. And that's the biggest thing. Well, and that is the biggest thing, right? And that's the thing that I that I'm sort of pointing to, right, is that so much of financial, quote, literacy is geared towards men, right? Like the stock, I mean, let's just take like the stock market, Wall Street. It is the most male-centric. What do you see? Thousands of men in, you know, with their ties listening. I mean, right? It's all, there's so much male-centric language around finances from that to this idea that when we get married, we, you know, women stop working. We may even be the ones, as you said, to um, handle the finances, but are are we equally responsible for bringing in the money? Are we, I mean, we've got the, the gender wage gap. We've got so many reasons and ways in which women are financially disempowered. Yeah. And then we get divorced and it's like, oh, fuck. Right. Yeah. And I think the the other thing, I mean, again, I, you know, I was in the financial industry for 12 years. That was my life. And it was so challenging, like so challenging, right? I mean, it was challenging to have a voice at the table. It was challenging because everybody said, well, Rhonda, you're doing these women's programs. And like, I mean, how is it that what you're doing is that much different? You throw pink on it and call it a women's program. And I'm like, oh, no, no. Like, you know, the way that I de developed those was very female centric and understanding how our you know, how we approach money and creating that awareness and building the relationship. And then, you know, and eventually you can talk some details around different things, but it wasn't quite that simple. And I think they discredited that a lot. So when I left the financial industry seven years ago this month, it was like, I'm packing up my business plan and my vision and this small town girl is out of here and I'm going to open my own thing because I wanted to be able to have a space specifically dedicated toward women that could come and have these conversations that they weren't feeling comfortable having. So we have that piece of it, right? That aspect of being have being guilty, feeling guilty or feeling shameful or not knowing what questions to ask or feeling stupid. So we don't ask the questions. And then we get in these situations where women are contemplating or going through divorce and then they really don't know what questions to ask. Uh -huh. And then 
the really important part of this is that the whole divorce process, it is broken. It is so broken. Yeah. In what ways do you see it as being broken? What's your, what's your experience with that? I feel like women are bullied mm. into making decisions. I feel like everybody will say, well, Rhonda, there's, they're supposed to disclose information. Yeah. And people are not doing it and nobody's calling them on it. And there's not the (laughs) accountability and yeah, there's what should be happening, which everybody that isn't in this space would say, well, Rhonda, I mean, it should be happening. They should be disclosing. They should be doing X, Y, Z. And they're not. That's the problem. And there are no checks and balances for that. Right. It's all like we are everybody it's self-disclosure, right? So it's the honor system, (laughs) (laughs) which as we know, is like, that's for, for many people, especially financial abusers, this is like, there, there's no honor. Nope. Again, because there's all these dynamics, right, that come into this picture, it's just not as simple as people want to make it seem, right? Uh-huh, like, right. it just mm-hmm. isn't that simple. And I think the men in particular would like to oversimplify. Like, well, we don't really have that much. It's going to be super simple. You'll be well taken care of. I'll come and mow the grass. Zip it. Like, you're not, the, literally, that's what they tell them. Right. And women want to believe the best in people and they don't want to rock the boat. And so they don't ask too many questions and they think, well, he would never want to do anything that isn't in my best interest. And the reality of it is he's thinking about himself. You might be thinking about, hopefully are finally starting to think about yourself, right? And so there's this dynamic where I think women need to show up, ask really kick-ass questions, get really good answers, right? And really be able to dial in and make sure that they're getting a fair and equitable split of, of not only the property, but also the income. I mean, here's the other thing is like for the women that are higher income earners, this is what was fascinating to me. And I'm like, and I leave some of these conversations and I'm like, how do I get my head around this one? Because it threw me for a loop. And that was when I have the women who are the higher income earners, what ends up happening is that the spouse is asking for way more Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, than what women would ever ask for, like the ridiculous really amounts of money, right? Right. And the women feel guilty. So they end up overcompensating and giving way more than they would ever be required to give. And I was like, wait a minute, we have to work so hard. I spend my whole day, right? Advocating for women across the country just to try to get them to hold. And people might think, well, Rhonda, I've got an attorney and they're really good. And yeah, the attorneys, if you have a great one is fantastic, but it's one piece of the puzzle. Sure. That's right. It's one part of the team. It's one part of the team. Yeah. In an ideal world, as you're going through divorce, you have a financial, a CDFA, you have an attorney or a mediator, you have a coach, right? You have a parenting, uh, co-parenting person, right? You have, there is a team in an ideal world that you have. And all of these pieces may be, may seem like they're more expensive and they're going to cost, you know, way more. And they probably save you a hell of a lot of money in litigation fees if you if it ends up that going that direction. Yeah, totally. Or going back to court. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. Yeah. And not to mention, I mean, the process when you have the right people that are committed to the not committed to the process. That's the thing. Like, mm. I'm not committed to the process. I'm committed to the people. Yes, that's there's right. a difference. Mm, there is a difference. Yep, that's right. 
That's right. I mean, a lot of times if you talk to mediators or attorneys, or they're committed to the process and you need that, but you also need people on your team that are committed to you, the person mm-hmm. you are advocating for your best interest and not just trying to get, get the divorce off the books. I mean, again, there's a healthy balance to that. Please don't get sure. me wrong. Right. Right. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. So what do you think is the biggest, what's the biggest financial challenge that you see for women going through divorce? I'll be honest with you, and this might not seem like, it might seem like a surprising answer, but I think honestly, the women are getting in their own way. In what way? So I think that a lot of times, right, if somebody says, hey, don't worry about it, it's going to be fine. Instead of kind of challenging that a little bit and say, can you define what fine means? <laughs> can you tell me what, I mean, what metrics right. and like which laws? <laughs> right. What numbers are we looking at for you to tell me that I'm fine? Because our soon to be ex-spouse's definition of fine might be very different than what reality would be as far as fine, right? Or what uh-huh. our definition of fine would be. Right. I think it's for, for women to be able to get out of their own way by doing a couple of things. One is being willing to ask the tough questions and challenge the status quo a little bit, right? Lean into it. I think hope is a really powerful emotion. Yes. And yet as women, a lot of times what ends up happening is it keeps us from asking really smart questions because we're like, well, I got hope that it's going to work out. And all the while you might have somebody over here doing their own thing, prepping for an exit and you're over here hoping, 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 therefore not taking action. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. I think a lot of times we accept stuff at face value without really doing a deeper dive on what does this mean for me? Like a lot of times if we look at the balance sheet, for example, as people are going through divorce and it looks even. Mm-hmm. And then, but if we really take it a step further, right, and do a deeper dive, ask some additional questions, we might not actually see that it's quite as even as it looks on paper because there's other things we need to be considering, right? Tax ramifications, how things are split, can the accounts actually be split? What's that look like? Right. Yes. Right. And there's also a difference between even and equitable, right? So, like, if my son has a there's a big expense and my my ex and I split it evenly that might that's even but if he makes 3 to 4 times more money than I do that's not equitable <laughs> right right well that's exactly it and so a lot of times right in those scenarios like well we'll just split the expenses 50-50 but yeah but the but <laughs> right but he makes like 3 quarters of a million dollars a year right. and I don't <laughs> right Mm-hmm. That's yep. right. Exactly. Right. So splitting expenses doesn't necessarily, right. As you said, the balance sheet may add up, but absolutely. We just have to take a deeper dive. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just, it's, it's mm-hmm. again, asking the right questions. And I think a lot of times too, the details matter. The, the details matter, maybe not from a legal perspective all the time, if, you know, we're just trying to navigate through from a legal perspective, but when we're looking at the finances, and again, I know I've mentioned this on, on the other program that we did together, but I mean, women's lifestyle, what standard of living drops 41% after divorce. And I think there's a lot of different reasons for that, right? It's because we're not asking the right questions. We're settling because we don't want to rock the boat. We're afraid. We don't necessarily know what the numbers mean for us. And it sounds like, well, okay, I got what I could take. And so I'm just going to be done with it and move on. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think it puts us in a really challenging spot, not to mention, you know, a lot of times if if the wife, the woman has been staying home and she hasn't been in the workforce for a period of time, and then she's trying to go back in and they're trying to argue that she can make X, Y, Z, 
then we, we've got some strategies on how to analyze that to say, listen, this is just not even acceptable. How do you do so, that? So what are the strategies that you utilize to analyze that? Because that is, I mean, this is a huge piece of this. And I really want to actually dive a little bit more into yeah. stay-at-home moms, women re-entering the workforce, the expectations of our abilities to do that, how long it really takes and and all of that. So can let's can we go a little bit deeper into that? Yeah. Yeah, so let's see. Where do I want to start? Well, from the research that I've been doing on a couple other presentations that I was prepping for, it was fascinating because if you have an individual who's the higher income earner, they can actually recover about a year after the divorce from an income perspective. But as we can imagine, right? There's plenty of women that really never recover after the divorce is over because they haven't been working. And it's based on this number of imputed income, which basically says, well, we're going to assume that you could make this, whether or not you choose to make it is one thing, but they basically impute income to them so that the spouse has to pay less. It's just a racket. But anyways, so so there's a couple of things. One is we, I have a specific process that I take my clients through to help them with a budget. And I always tell people like, we're going to do an initial, we're going to do a projected and it's not sexy and it's not glamorous, but it's helpful because it's going to be that very foundational building block, you know, to help with that. And when mm-hmm. I was in the financial industry, people would always say, well, Rhonda, you know, you, we, we do budgets all the time. I'm like, no, you give them a form to fill out and then you tell them it's a budget. Like, we're doing a deep dive and analyzing the income. We're analyzing the expenses. We're looking at the gaps. If there is a gap, like some of the t- things that I've helped my clients with is if there's a gap. So let's say we've got, we have some projections on support, child mm-hmm. support and or maintenance and alimony. And let's just say a job, right? Some mm-hmm. kind of a job, whether it's part-time, mm-hmm. whatever. And then we say, well, there's a gap. Okay. And let's just say the gap's like a thousand bucks a month between all of your soon to be post expenses and your current income. How are we going to close the gap? Well, we can either go back and we can negotiate for more support. Mm-hmm. We can look at, hey, is there a side hustle you could be doing? Mm-hmm. Or if you're working, could we go back and negotiate a raise? Every single time that I've helped my clients negotiate a raise, they've gotten a raise. Wow. And we've been able to bridge the gap because some it's not all about like just child support, right? And I think women are wired to say, I'm going to just figure this out. Well, right? yes, and we're also wired to not not be asking for raises, not be asking for what we're worth in a in a financial negotiation, right? We like we're wired to do all of these things that as you said, like sort of bite us in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> that's not yeah. what you said, but that's what I say. Yes, um, exactly. Right. <laughs> well, and the negotiation piece is an important part of this because whether mm-hmm. we're negotiating mm-hmm. salaries, whether we're negotiating settlements, like sometimes women can do it if they have the tools and the strategy and somebody kind of talking them through what to expect and how to position things, right? right. Mm-hmm. It's helpful. And so there's a specific acronym that we will use for that to help them with it. And then of course, we're doing some coaching around that. But the acronym is a NOT. It's A-N-O-T. And basically, it's acknowledged, being being grateful. You know, hey, I'm mm-hmm. so grateful for the opportunity to be able to work here. Naturally, I want to be able to contribute to the organization. So the N is naturally. And then we move on to obviously. Obviously, you, whatever the, we just point out the obvious. Like, obviously, you've mentioned that budgets are tight, or obviously you want to make sure that you can retain the best talent for the best price or what, like just point out something Mm -hmm. that's like so uber obvious that of course they're going to say yes, because then you kind of get this like subconscious buy-in. And then the T is the ask. What are you asking for? 
So for example, I had a client who she was doing two jobs. They had reorganized. She was taking on all this additional work. And we did the analysis to say, if she does not get a raise, she's going to have to either look for a part-time job or she's going to have to look for a new job. Mm-hmm. And so we positioned it like, listen, I want to be part of this team. I've been part of this organization for 20 years. I've, I'm invested in it. And um, I've recently gone through divorce. And here's the hard truth. If I, if I, can't close this gap, I'm going to have to look elsewhere. Or I'm going to have to get a part-time job, which is going to take away my solo focus on this position. Mm-hmm. And so then she asked and they were able to do it. I think she got a $5 an hour raise. I had another client who was very similar. And so it's even if the even if the company says, hey, listen, we're not giving raises or budgets are frozen, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, we're still going to ask. And we still ask and we still get it because mm-hmm. they realize that if they have to go back and hire right another person to fill sure. that position, there's costs associated with that. Yeah, and it's not a so it's so it's it's acknowledge naturally, mm-hmm. obviously, and then what's the T like the ask? What are you the asking ask, for? The ask. I see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Yeah. And here's the other part, right? It could also be, and I always love I love that acronym because it could be around dollars and cents, which sometimes it is, but it also could be. Hey, listen, I now have a new schedule, right? And I'm wondering if it would be possible for me to work from home one day a week or flex uh-huh. my schedule or That's whatever. Right. Like right. it doesn't have to just be the dollars and cents conversation. We can use that acronym for pretty much anything that we are having anxiety around having a conversation. Yeah. I mean, this is a, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting divorced and I now have to pick up my kids from school two days a week and it's non-negotiable can those two days, can I work flexible hours, right? Like, can I come in earlier or can I go and pick up my kids and then work the rest of the afternoon from home, right? Because there's custody impacts your work day, right? When you don't have, you know, that flexibility or you you can't afford now to pay somebody to do it or whatever, right? So absolutely, yeah. So interesting. So this this forty one percent number just so forty one percent. What is it that that forty one percent of women see a reduction in their standard of living, in their income, in their in their what? So women see a forty one percent decrease. So it's generally speaking, so all women right, post divorce. There's post-divorce. a decrease in their standard of living for the reasons we're talking about, right? And I think the other part of it too is, again, when we look at like the income component and we're looking at this whole like, you know, fancy term of imputing income, it's where one party can say, well, they're they're not living up to their earning potential. Yeah. They should be making more. Uh-huh. And so we're going to basically on paper and in a in accounting fashion, right, put that they're making this, even though they're really not and might not ever make that, so that it offsets the amount that the other spouse mm-hmm. has to pay, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, and here's the thing that I've seen as a strategy too, is a lot of times they'll say, well, the, that party needs to get a vocational evaluation. They need to meet with a company that can do a thorough analysis of what this person with this mm-hmm. set of skills and this educational background could be making in the marketplace. Right, right. That person is often hired by whoever wants to make that point, right? Which is usually the higher income spouse saying that the other person should be working more. Uh-huh. So one of the strategies is you could inquire and ask about having your own expert. So rather than just accepting whatever the, that expert says, right, 
Right. Okay. You can say, I'm going to hire my own expert paid by me uh-huh. Uh-huh. to basically counter whatever that, if we don't like the result. Right, right, right. So it becomes a battle of the experts. The other thing is also looking at, so it's looking back at earnings, right? So there's some processes that we can use to do that. Look back at historicals. We can technically, from CDFA standards, go back five years. A lot of times, legal professionals don't necessarily want to go back five, but you know, you can go back five years. You can take a look at previous earnings. You want to look at their base salary plus bonuses or additional benefits that they might be receiving and analyze that. You know, there's all these little details of checks and balances that we're looking at behind the scenes to analyze these different options. And so, you know, certainly that's an important part of it. The other thing that I think is doesn't hold as much weight, but I think it's, again, it's an important part of the conversation is future earnings, right? I mean, we're not going to base support off of future earnings, but the reality of it is one party's standard of living is only most likely going to go up where the other person is going to probably have to refresh their resume, try to figure out what the heck they want to do, get back into the marketplace. And it's not that simple, right? No, it's I mean, not. It's, <laughs> I'm here to tell y'all it's not at all. No. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, get it, whether it's their retooling, going back to school, even if they were to get basic job, right? Just to say they have a job, does it really outweigh having to put their kids in daycare? I mean, there's just all these things. Right. right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Um, it's interesting because I have had a number of clients, female clients, who are the higher income earners and whose husbands are in jobs that are far less, that are like like $15 an hour jobs when they have like master's degrees, right? And for them, I have said, you should probably have a vocational you know, assessment, right? Would you consider that to be an appropriate use of that tool? Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, I hate yeah. it when it's on the other side of it, you know, because I'm right. like, oh my gosh, they've been, but again, if, if somebody is working and they could be making more, you know, sure. I think so. I mean, and again, it's always, it's hard because if it's a tool that's available. Now, the thing that's always been kind of interesting for me is having worked in higher education, I was um, an instructor and taught in the business division in higher ed. And the, one of the divisions would do these assessments for people. But the mm-hmm. assessment was really for graduates who were trying to figure out what the heck they wanted to do. And they would give them some recommendations and kind of what they thought that their earning potential was. So it was, I feel, this is my personal opinion and my sure. feelings around it, yeah. but mm-hmm. I feel like it's a tool that was intended to help people that mm-hmm. now has been used against people. Right. Which kind of drives me crazy. Yeah. Right. I totally, totally. And, you know, in the cases of a couple of my clients, they're like, he's deliberately not getting a higher paying job until after we. Now, I don't know if that's true. Right. Because I'm not talking to him. I have no idea. Right. And so it does feel like a tool that is meant to help people, but then it's being utilized by the litigation system (laughs) to kind of. (laughs) Right. And I, I mean, I don't know what the answer is because I know that. If I guess if I was talking, if it, if it was the man who was a higher income earner, I'd be like, screw you. She's doing the best she can. Right. And so, you know, my feminism has to work both ways. If I want, yeah. to, if I want equality, <laughs> right. Yeah. It has to be, yeah, equitable. 
Well, and I think, you know what, the reality of it is, uh, like you said, when the roles were reversed, right? And if the guy's the higher income or they're, they're a lot of times doing that, right? Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. using that as a strategy. And so for the women, you know what, I say, go ahead and use it. I mean, right. again, remembering that you, even if you're the higher income earner, as much as we like to think money is power, it's also interesting because we're also, I think the women are also going to have to be able to fight against, there's still this this current that no matter where the women are at, whether they've stayed home or they're the higher income earner, there still is this current, right, of people advocating for the men. Yeah. And so I think women just need to be really clear on what they want, what they're asking for, you know, what they're, what the law would be willing to give. And again, consulting with an attorney for that. And don't feel like yeah. you have to overcompensate for those things because you're trying to be overly nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, the other part kind of to full circle around the whole budget thing yeah. is I will tell you, I, I spend so much of my time, right? And I, I love budgets because I think, it, again, it is provide so much clarity for us moving forward and our system is just really great. But the, but the key with that is the opposing counsel will often come back and say, well, yeah, but what is she spending? Does she really need that much? And I'm like, yeah, and mm-hmm. you've got Mr. over here who just went and bought a $900 a month lease on a Cadillac Escalade and nobody's questioning his purchase. So there's right. still that stuff happening. Like they're going to go through and they're going to say, well, yeah, but she doesn't need that. And she doesn't need that. And she, she only needs this done. She doesn't need to get her hair done. She doesn't need to write or like, and he's over here manscaping and buying Cadillac Escalades. And you're like, right. what is going on here? Why are we not looking at his budget? Nobody's right. doing it. I will tell you. That's they're right. not. That's right. That's so right. I think women have to be, we have to find this balance between, we just have to be willing to be uncomfortable ask for what we need. And this is this conversation, of course, could go beyond the bounds of divorce by far. Oh, a hundred percent. Right. This, this should this should go beyond the bounds of divorce. It should. hundred percent. But we need to. We we as women just need to show up and we can do it in a way that is respectful of the other party, even if we don't like them. We can be respectful and we can be firm all at the same time. And when mm. we learn how to do that, it's extremely powerful. And now a word from our sponsor, me. Once you've decided to get a divorce, you may feel a sense of relief that the decision is finally made. But at the same time, you likely feel a sense of foreboding of what's ahead. There's a huge mountain left to climb. And if you've never gotten divorced before, especially divorced with kids, there's a lot that you don't know. You need a deep dive into the divorce process stat. That's exactly why I created the Divorce Survival Program. In the Divorce Survival Program, you'll learn how to have the most difficult conversations of your life with your husband, your children, friends, family, and even nosy neighbors. You'll learn to set healthy boundaries in high and low conflict divorces. You'll learn how the legal and financial processes really work, whether you should or can seek support. And you'll be taken through the process of emotional healing. And of course, you'll learn how and when to start dating on the other side. In this first-of-its-kind program, I bring together guest experts from around the country who share their wisdom in exclusive interviews not available anywhere else. 
In the Divorce Survival Program, I have conversations with legal and financial experts, child psychologists, sex and dating experts, and more. And of course, there are over 20 videos in which I speak directly to you, answering your most pressing questions. The Divorce Survival Program is a self-paced online program available for purchase now at the ridiculously low price of just $497. And there's a payment plan if you need it. Best of all, as a listener to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, you get $50 off. Use the code DSGPOD at checkout and $50 will be taken off your purchase. Head on over to divorcesurvivalprogram.com and sign up today. That's divorcesurvivalprogram.com. And now back to our show. This actually harkens back to a conversation we've we've had before about assertiveness and the the okay corral, right? It's a so this the difference between aggression, aggressiveness, passive aggression, manipulation and assertiveness. And unfortunately, when women are assertive, we are categorized as aggressive. And when men are aggressive, they're categorized as assertive, (laughs) right? And this is a very different power dynamic and it is rooted in power, right? And, And relationships, right? Because aggression is about dominance, control, power over, Right. And assertiveness is sort of presupposes no, no sense of power. It is simply coming, it, it, it's stating exactly what is so and what is required and what is expected in a way that doesn't, it, there's no, there's no power differential with it. And so that's sort of what you're, I think what you were starting to, <laughs> right. Is that we have to, yeah. be, women need to learn to be assertive. We have to take sort of the emotion out of it. We need to hold ourselves as equal in this conversation, which is very difficult for us to Absolutely. do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially if we have been the stay-at-home parent and we have felt completely disempowered. Yes. Absolutely. You know, and it's one of those things where it kind of feels like you know, we end up continuing to have this conversation around this topic, but it's such a big issue. Mm -hmm. And there isn't a person that I talk to that there isn't some element of this going on, right? I mean, everything is fine and peaceful as long as one party agrees. But I'm like, yeah, they'll say that everything's going to be fine and equitable until they actually see the dollars and cents and what it's going to quote unquote cost them. And now suddenly oh, well, they don't want to do that anymore. It's not mm-hmm. a good idea. I mean, there's been there's been settlements that we've been able to do on the mediation side. These are attorney-mediated situations. And we had to fight, I mean, in a good way, but really advocate for our clients to even get close to 50-50. Concessions and all kinds of stuff back and forth. And negotiating is just, it's never clean. It's just, mediations can be really challenging. But in an ideal situation, Somebody is willing to give something in exchange for something else. Not one party is expecting the other to give, 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 or take, 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 right? Right. I mean, it's like, there has to be this quid pro quo, this back and forth, but it doesn't always happen. And I've had happen twice where we, both parties signed the mediation agreement and we were waiting on getting the judge to sign off on it. And in between there, the husband went back and heckled the wife and convinced her to go back and change her MSA, (gasps) her signed, because we were waiting. It was, it was 
awful. Kate, I laid in my bed and could not go to sleep because I was so upset. Mm. And the attorney was upset. And this was kind of to bring it full circle on what I was talking about, right? This this client allowed herself to be manipulated and controlled even in the 11th hour. And now she's going to have to deal with the consequences of that. And I had, I literally had to say, I have to let this go because it was eating at me. I was, I was getting so stressed out because I really was so disturbed by what was happening. And nobody's talking about this stuff behind the scenes. I mean, Mm. and the deal that, again, the deal that she got from mediation was fair. It was equitable. Like, for example, he was a, he was an attorney. And he had, they bought into anybody who's an attorney, right? They understand that like you can buy in. So you put money into the firm and then basically as a partner. Yeah. As a partner. Uh-huh. So you're buying into your equitable share or whatever. Yeah. And if at some point the firm sold or something like that, you may get some of that money back. Well, we wrote in the marital settlement agreement that, because of course he's like, well, my firm's not worth anything. Okay. So then if it's not worth anything, then if it's sold or something down the road, right? then the client, my client, gets half of whatever you guys initially put in to that. Mm-hmm. We weren't even asking for the growth because he was saying no. We just wanted her half of what was put in. Half of the investment, the initial investment. Yep, mm-hmm. which was marital, of course, right? Right, right. So he comes back and he tells her, I'm not, I'm not giving you half of that. I'm not. I mean, there was like four big things, just as an example, right? Yeah, right. And it's like, it's just, it's, it's frustrating. And this, this to me, this sort of speaks to the fact that abuse does not stop at the divorce, <laughs> right? Yeah. And these are the things that we have to be really conscious of, right? That that the, these things can can continue on way into the divorce yeah. process. Right. I mean, and people have to make sure. And that's the other thing, too, is like as part of the marital settlement agreement or that final document, right, the divorce decree, they can, you can build in forward thinking parameters around if there are issues with the kids, here's what we're going to do. If there's issues with the finances, we've got a mediator or somebody that we're going to and you name the person. Mm-hmm. Almost mm-hmm. like a, it's almost like a trust document, like a beneficiary, you know, like yeah. you're, you're planning on if this goes south after the fact, we've got a person. We, right. we're gonna we, call. we agree that we yes. will contact, you know, yep. X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Yep. I want to go back to this budgeting situation for a second, because one of the, I had this sort of like mind blowing experience a few years ago when budgets are so often aspirational, right. And they, and they are, as you said, they're, they're constrictive, right. They are, it's like, well, I, I could only spend this much on groceries. Okay. So that should be my budget. Right. And when someone told me to track my actual spending with no no restrictions, but to track my actual spending for three to four weeks or three months, and that that would be my budget, <laughs> right? right? That it's a spending plan, not necessarily a budget, right? Yep. That, that actually track what you actually spend for a couple of months. And that is your budget, not this sort of like aspirational, restrictive, right? And to me, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Because to me, that was (laughs) mind-blowing. Oh, it's awesome. And obviously, there's a couple different ways that we can look at it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes Mm -hmm. people don't have the data to go back and look. 
right? Mm-hmm. So if they can, that's ideal, right? You go back and you kind of track and see some trends. It's time consuming, right? Yeah, sure. Sometimes people's bank accounts will give them categories. And so, you know, that can be helpful or whatever. Yeah. But we're also looking at it within a percentage of the income. So I get like there's two aspects of it, right? I'm saying, okay, well, if you don't know what it is, what do you think it could be? And then let's try to back engineer and stay within that range. Because like mm-hmm. vacation, right? Vacation is one of those things where a lot of times women will say, well, yeah, we always went on vacations and now I'm not going to be able to. And I'm like, well, okay, but if you could. Let's work it into the budget. Let's work it in. Right. So if you spend right. six grand mm-hmm. and we divide that by 12, it's $500 a month. Let's put that in the vacation fund. And I actually had a client come back and say, Ron, I'm so glad you had me put it in there because my friends were going to Tennessee on a girl's trip. I She's very conservative financially and didn't really want to spend any money. And she goes, but I knew I had to set aside some money for it. And I booked a plane ticket and I'm going. Yeah, and I'm like, good for you. Right. right. Yes. So here's the thing, to, kind of to your point. I mean, I think a lot of times women in particular say, I'll cut coupons. I'll cut back. I don't need that much. I'll live on rice and beans, blah, blah, blah. Right. And, and to your point, we do need to stop doing that. Like if right. you've been able to do certain things, right, we should be building that into the budget. Now, of course, everybody's going to say, well, yeah, but Rhonda, there's only so much income to go around and you're taking lemons, you know, blah, blah, right. blah. Lemon yeah, juice yeah. from only so many lemons. Okay, fine. But at the same time, right, there's there's a healthy balance to that. It's like, listen, here was the pot of money we had. And if technically I'm supposed to be living off of half of that, then that was essentially what we could be building the budget off of. That's right. I may not actually be able to live. I may not be able to, like, you can only divide how much money there is. Um, and I may not be able to stick to that budget as prescribed by the, my actual spending, right? Sure, there might be places that we can cut back. and. I think the idea that that this has to be punitive or is not, that's not actually, that is not a healthy mindset to have around money, right? And so we started talking earlier about women's mindset around money, right? And that, and I think that's our mindset. It's this restrictive or I shouldn't or, well, I could just not or, right? And like, yeah. what if we allowed ourselves to? What if we actually raise our expectations to meet what we, what is it? What, what, what are they rising to meet? I'm sort of <laughs> losing myself in my metaphor, but <laughs> right. Like, but raise, but raise our expectations to meet the reality and, and something that's comfortable, not yeah. something that's so restrictive that we could, couldn't possibly actually achieve it. I have so many thoughts around this conversation, right? Because yeah. the first thing was, yeah, don't settle, right? Like once we know what's coming in and we have a good idea, again, it's it's always kind of a little bit of a moving target, but we've got a good, you know, solid general idea, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Women mm-hmm. can then go out. And one of the things I saw was they would say, well, Rhonda, I can't afford anything. And I'm like, well, what, what do you mean you can't afford anything? So they go and they look at a couple apartments. And so let's say they go look in one in a totally crappy neighborhood and it's like $800 a month and it's a hole in a bad neighborhood. And they're like, oh my gosh, Rhonda, my life's terrible. This is all I can afford. Uh Right. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, wait a minute though. Let's look at the budget. Right. So then we go, we do the exercise. Right. And I say, listen, your range is like 1200 to 1500. And they're like, you're kidding. Really? Yeah. So now go look. And now they go look and they say, 
yeah, 1200. Okay. Maybe I could find something, but remember frugal at their core, right? I mean, I think Mm -hmm, we have to mm -hmm. like condition ourselves to say, I deserve more. I want more. I'm not going to settle. Right. Like, right. So, so then they go out and I say, listen, and then when you find something right now, you're going to be empowered. Now you can decide between the few that you saw and knowing like, oh, that's right. I've already done the pre-work and and barring they get, depending on where they're at in the process or whatever, but they can sign a lease. Or get yeah. a, potentially, you know, eventually get a home or whatever. So they know the range and it's so freeing because then they realize like, oh, that's so great. I'm not going to be stuck in a bad neighborhood in a, a one bedroom apartment with whatever mm-hmm. bugs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and on the flip yeah. side, right? When women are used to maybe a higher lifestyle and they say, yes. well, I'm going to look in an apartment and it's three grand a month or five grand a month or mm-hmm. whatever the dollar amount is. Mm-hmm. And they think, well, I should be able to. And then you look and you're like, mm-hmm. That's going to be really cutting it and it's going to be tight. So maybe you need to back off and find something else, but that's still nice. Right. But maybe doesn't have valet parking or I don't know. I mean, you know, like. Yeah. And look, you know, when I got divorced, I left my really beautiful house. It was tiny. It was a tiny two bedroom house, but it's Los Angeles. (laughs) So, and it was on the north side of the, of the big boulevard in the nicer area, beautiful tree line street, all the blah, 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 blah gazebo in the background in the backyard and the landscaping and the granite countertops and the stainless appliances and I the rental that I got was had like peeling paint on the, the exterior had was like probably 10 years past due for a paint job it had astroturf on the front porch I kid you not it had like no landscaping and like half dead grass in the backyard. It had a backyard, but it has an apartment building next door to it that like looks over the backyard, black appliances, old linoleum floors, right? Uh, the works. The first, my first night in this house, I, there was gunfire a block away. And, but let me tell you, but it was what I could afford. It was in terms of rent. And it was also what, it was also what I could afford once spousal support was gone, right? Because I didn't know how long it was going to take me to blah, 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 whatever. I am still in this house. I'm still in the same house. <laughs> the neighborhood has turned over. Oh, and I forgot to say it was on the south side of the, of the boulevard. So like it was like super shady. So I'm still here. It is a beautiful house. They finally repainted it. I have landscaped the entire thing, you know, eventually replacing some of the appliances because they were old. I still have my black oven, but like whatever, it works. And it's like less at the time, it was like it was such a step down. But like in hindsight, it's like, first of all, I was willing to take that step down because I needed to get out of my marriage. Right. But also like, we don't, we don't need all of those things all the time. And the shitty place doesn't always remain a shitty place. And you might be able to move later. Right. Yeah. I've ended up staying in this house because it's actually a fucking great house. Yeah. And in Los Angeles, you know, they've raised my rent a few times over the years, but I still now, if I had to move, I would not be able to stay in Los Angeles. Yeah. Well, so. and I think those are the things, right? And I think there's there's always this healthy balance to that too, because again, mm-hmm. it's like t- making it. And, and at the end of the day, you can say, "Hey, listen, I made the choice to live in this space. I just I made the choice to stay in this space. I mean, That's it right. was ultimately right. I mean, there would have been some sacrifices for you to move out of LA, but at the end of the day, you made the choice, and good for you. And I think the the thing is, we have to. A couple of things I wrote down here is first of all, we have to stop with the guilt around. We can we can make adjustments 
we can cut back, we can do all the things. There's nothing right. wrong with that. Okay. That's right. mm-hmm. But I also don't want women to feel like, oh yeah, I got to stop dreaming. I got to stop right. wanting more. I got to, yeah. my mm-hmm. life is over, you know, that kind of stuff. So I think there's a balance to that. I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. And, you know, I mean, in my case, believe, by the way, I ripped the AstroTurf right off the front porch. It's a beautiful craftsman house. Like it's a beautiful <laughs> house and it's big and it's spacious and like, but yes, that's right. That's right. And I, and I, you know, over the years I've like painted every room and I, you know, I did my, I put my stamp on this house and now people come over and they're like, it's so beautiful. And it is right. And I still rent, like I don't own a home. And that's because I live in Los Angeles <laughs> and that's not attainable <laughs> for me right now. But yes, I, there is a balance, right? There is, I am not going to put myself into horrific amounts of debt and, and then create that catastrophe on my, on my psyche. And also I'm not going to live in squalor. And I think fewer of us need to live in squalor than we think we do. Right. Mm -hmm. And often, you know, women in my Facebook group or, you know, they'll say to me like, you know, oh, my God, I'm just going to like I'm not gonna be able to afford anything. And I'm, you know, and blah, 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 blah. And I, I just say to them, have you done the numbers? Have you spoken to a CDFA? Have you spoken to an attorney in your area to find out what? Mm-hmm. you are actually entitled to. And you know, nine times out of 10, the answer is no. Nine right. times out of 10, when they get the information, absolutely, they learn that this is not the case. This is absolutely. maybe the threat their husband is making. You know, very well, often. Uh-huh. That's, that's it, right? It's uh-huh. all the either stories that other people have tried to tell us or we've mm-hmm. told ourselves or whatever. I mean, it right. reminds me of a client very early on when I was starting my company seven years ago. And she said, Rhonda, oh my gosh, my credit score is terrible. I'm like, okay, well, what is it? Well, I don't know. I think it's like, <laughs> I think it's like 480. I'm like 480. Like, I mean, be. there's no judgment if it's 480, but 480, you know, you're just like, right. is I'm it like, really? Is it really? <laughs> we pull the numbers. It was 620. I'm like, okay, 620 is a far cry from 480. 480. That you have like, you have been carrying this heavy, like, backpack of rocks around the fact that you think your credit score is 480. No wonder you feel depressed. No wonder you feel overwhelmed, right? Because again, that wasn't reality. So let's get the numbers. Let's figure it out. And you know what? If it would have been 480, here's what we would have said, right? I'm not the credit expert, but we have folks that do. Let's figure out how to fix it. Right. Like you don't have to stay there. That's the other part. That's right? right. And I think the biggest part, I think one of the biggest pieces of, of women's financial wellness is information. Yeah. Because we make up stories when we don't have the information. And totally always it's a worse story than the one that's true. That's true. Right. <laughs> like usually, usually it's a much worse story. Yeah, for yeah. sure. No, for <sighs> sure. And I just want to encourage the women that are listening, like, you're smart, right? You just have to get the right team of people that can believe in you that are going to be patient. I was speaking recently at a financial advisor conference and I no longer sell financial products. So I'm not doing, been there, done that, left seven years ago and have been doing the strategies. And And I think it's also finding the right people that can come in, right? And really provide some guidance, particularly on the financial side that mm-hmm. was independent of financial product sales. Because yeah. a lot of times I think women are feeling like, well, yeah, but I have to be investing or I have to be, well, that stuff can come later, right? We right. want to get the strategy around how to get you through this process 
understanding some of the basic terminology, right? Understanding some key things, having being able to make really good decisions, building your confidence along the way, that when this thing is over, yeah, then you can have some conversations around specifically how you want to, you know, move forward and, and have a financial yeah. plan. But mm-hmm. during the process, we're just trying to, we're just trying to make sure that women can be in a really good spot to make good decisions that's going to help them long term. So we can start changing these stats, right? Like, yeah. you know, I want to start changing and we've been doing it, but continue to change the stats that, you know what, women are leaving and my clients are, my clients are leaving and their lifestyle is just as good or better than when they left because we're asking the right questions and we're negotiating and the husbands are ticked because they feel like their wives got it too good of a deal. Well, they didn't walk away with more than what they should have. You're just upset because they didn't walk away with what you shut, you know, you think that they should have walked away with. <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. So, okay. On that note, if, if women want to hire you so that they can actually walk away and not have a 41% reduction in their, in their lifestyle and their income and all that, where can they find you? Yeah. The best place is probably our website, wfwcdivorce.com. They can check out the blogs. They can listen to the Divorce Conversations podcast, which I know you will be a guest on here shortly. So they'll be able to listen there as well. And they can book a time to chat, 30-minute discovery call. I do all of those. So they'll talk to me directly and we'll figure out if we're a good fit. And thankfully, we can help women all over the country. It's just been really, really fantastic to have the local resources of attorneys and mediators and and folks, but being able to be that resource is what it's all about. Yes, and that's and that's right. So you you do work. You are able to work with women all over the country. So this is not location specific. Correct. Yeah. 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 Which is great. And I mean, some people would say, well, Rhonda, you know, is it different? Yeah. Each state's different, but we have like fact sheets on each state and we have great attorneys in each state. And so I mean, we're we're savvy in that regard and. Yeah, it's it's really fantastic. Awesome. So it's WFWC, which is Women's Financial Wellness Center dot com. Yes. Uh, Women's Financial Wellness Center. W- so WFWCdivorce.com. Ah, okay. W- Gotta get the divorce word in there. <laughs> Sorry, it's all in the show notes. Y'all can find it's it. All good. <laughs> Rhonda, uh, thank you so much. Kate, for- thank you. I love talking to you about this stuff. It's always so enlightening and empowering and and really important. So thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at the Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.